Welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. My name is Sonny Bunch. I'm culture editor at The Bulwark. Uh, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Brian Abrams. Now, Brian Abrams is the author of the new book, uh, you, you Talking to Me, The Definitive Guide to Iconic Movie Quotes. Uh, it's got a nice little uh, uh, Travis Bickle here, a little mini Travis Bickle on the cover uh, to, to remind you exactly which movie this uh, comes from. Uh, Brian is the author of Obama and Oral History and Party Like a President. Uh, he has written for the Washington Post Magazine and the Lowbrow Reader, in addition to uh, being the author of this book. Thank you for being on the show today, Brian. Thanks for having me, Sonny. So uh, let's, talk, let's talk about this book uh, because uh, in the intro, you said you had something like twice as many quotes that you wanted to include in this book, and your publisher very cruelly said, "No, we gave you a certain number of pages. You have to stick to them." Uh, so, what was the what was the initial process of finding the great movie quotes like for you? It's a great question. I mean, <clears throat> I I don't know if necessarily my publisher was like, "Hey, you need to cut it in half." So much as I was very aware that's what needed to happen. Like, I didn't want to create a book that was 700 pages long or 500 pages long. This one's, like, around 340, which is, like, it's thick. It's good. It's, like, a it's a solid book, but and that's about max. Um, but the trouble that I ran into over the three years of writing it was <clears throat> I constantly uh, could not distinguish between... Uh, movies that we know backwards and forwards and therefore we know all of their lines and so therefore you think oh these are popular and I'm going to explore and figure out uh, where they've resonated in our culture and there must be a story there um, and then you just kind of end up writing yourself into a cul-de-sac there's actually not that kind of story and then other lines which objectively you can point to and say uh, you know this has made an impact and I can point to examples X, Y, and Z, right? Um, so th I think that's like the main reason that I probably ended up writing about, you know, 300 something lines uh, as opposed to, I think, I don't know, a little over 200 are in the book now. But um, the, the stuff that I wrote about and did not make it into the book... Um, whether it stays in like a Google Doc forever or I just like one day put it on my letterbox, it, it they still helped inform me when writing and reporting on the ones that did make it in, if that makes any sense. Sure, sure. Uh, so what's what's an example of the let's let's uh, look at uh, a, a bad movie quote from, you know, a, a something that was just stuck in your head because you've seen it a million times and doesn't actually make the cut. What 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 would an example like that look like? Before we get to the good stuff, before we get to the, you know, the real gold. Bad, bad meaning didn't make it in the book. Not bad yes. meaning, it's a bad line. Um, yes. Okay, so I can name a ton, obviously. Um, but the one that comes to mind right now is uh, Marlon Brando in One-Eyed Jacks when um, he's in this fight at a bar with uh, Timothy, um, the character actor's name escapes me right now, big creepy guy, and he... Tells him to get up, you scum sucking pig, and he says it in his like Brando way. And I, um, I'm not going to do the impression, uh, but uh, I mean I should, but I'm not going to. Um, I, since I was a kid, I always had it in my head that for that, 
like the way he calls him a scum sucking pig was just like this jaw dropping moment for a Western in 1961. And therefore I, I just had a curiosity if there was something there to explore, whether on the profane side or just something. I, and, um, it is a cool movie and it is a fun line. Uh, but you know, it's not like, you know, it's not the first time the word scum is in a movie and it's not like some major profanity breakthrough. Like, that's, you know, you can find every, like, curse word in the book in the pre-code era, you know? So, but that was just, like, a blind alley that I went into because I think I just loved the movie so much. Um, you know, speaking with people or, you know, taking notes during a, a Blu-ray commentary or gulping down, you know, books on westerns, wherever you could look. Um, and I came up with very little, despite having written maybe five drafts over it. So that's like a... That's a solid example of one that I probably spent weeks on that I shouldn't have. Um, but lesson learned, you know. Again, it helped me yeah. elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, we'll, we'll talk about your process of research and reporting here in a minute because it's, this is, it's not just your hot takes on the movies right. that you love. It's, you know, there, there are interviews in here. Yeah. There are, uh, clearly, you've, you've, uh, you have taken advantage of the golden age of DVD when every release ever made came with like an extensive commentary and documentary and all that. Right. It's great. Um, but let's, uh, it, it's, it's interesting to think about the idea of personal things sticking in your head personally that aren't necessarily, um, huge cultural moments. I mean, I like one, one that always comes to mind for me, especially now that I have kids weirdly is th there's a line in Ghostbusters, the original Ghostbusters where they go into the library and there's a big stack of books and, and, you know, Ray says something like, you know, this is just like the library of blah, blah. And Peter Bankman is like, yes, no human being would possibly stack books like that or something like that. And I say that line all the time. And, and some people get it, some people don't. Uh, but it is, it's clearly not a revolutionary, revelatory line. It's just something that sticks with you. How do you, how do you make that judgment uh, between sticks with you and impact on the culture, like something that, that transcends individual taste? Yeah. Um, no, I love that question. I, I, um, I mean, going back to what I said about my, my struggle to make the distinctions um, between, you know, whatever was in my personal bag and whatever out there may be something you can point to and say like, oh, okay, everyone in the world at one point or another absolutely knows this line, whether they know the movie or not, right? Um, but I, I, because of what you're saying, um, I also like didn't want to overthink the logic of the curation. Um, I mean, on, on some level, I just wanted to dive in and get lost in movies and just have an enthusiasm that hopefully is palpable uh, to the reader. But I'm aware that uh, there's just, to your point about that library line in Ghostbusters, which I, I is not, it's not in my memory bank at all, but that's really funny. Um, there's no escaping who you are. There's no view from nowhere. Uh, this curation does depend all on your perception. Uh, you know, you could assign this book to 10 different authors and tell them like, do, you know, Hollywood's iconic lines, right? From all of history. And their lists may end up matching 35%, 40%. Everyone's going to have Wizard of Oz and Chinatown or Goldfinger, right? Uh, or the lines from those movies and then break off. Um, I mean, I know for a fact that I, I wrote about a line 
that the grocery store clerk snarks to Elliot Gould in The Long Goodbye because I had this idea to include an item that spoke to fellow tortured cat dads everywhere. Um, and, you know, that's from 73. I don't know how well you know that movie, but anyone who knows that movie absolutely knows the scene. Um, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it. It's, it's, right, it's right in the beginning. It's right yeah. in the opening. He, right he walks front. out of his apartment. It's like right. three in the morning. He right. stumbles into a, a Piggly Wiggly or whatever, and it's, right. you know, trying, trying to find a very specific brand of cat food. Right. And, and uh, you know, I wrote about that. And instead, like 1972 was Lady Sings the Blues. And Billy D. Williams' opening line, you want my arm to fall off while he's holding the 20 out to Diana Ross, like that is objectively like the more popular line from that era, right? So that's just like, is that just a sign of me being like a white boy in the suburbs of Texas growing up having watched The Long Goodbye as like a teenager and in my 20s and 30s and now? I mean, you know, probably, but I'm just saying that you are who you are, and so there's going to be a little of that in the curation no matter what, right? Yeah. I think you talked about this a little bit in the introduction of your book, um, but I forget. Maybe, maybe I was imagining it. Uh, the, the, there's, there's a question about uh, rules. You, you, when, you're, when you're making a book like this, you have to have rules because mm-hmm. otherwise it could be 200 quotes from 10 movies. It could be 10 Godfather quotes, 10 you know, uh, Wizard of Oz quotes, 10 Citizen Kane quotes, whatever. Uh, you, 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 have to, you have to sit there and say, I'm only going to do one from one per movie, or I'm only going to do one per actor, one per director. How did you, what were your limitations, your self-imposed limitations here when yeah. you were sitting down to put together the list? Yeah, I mean, you want to have a balance, you know? I mean, you do, like, you recognize that, okay, a book that analyzes iconic movie lines and as you mentioned like there may be in some cases that I do have like my own analysis I can bring but I'm not I'm not so conceited enough to think that I have a hot take or even a lukewarm take on every single movie that would be insane like I would not want to read that person but uh even though they exist everywhere uh but you yeah you do want to have a balance of genre and and uh not to use an overused word, but representation in a sense of just like the essence of all kinds of different lines, different movies, different themes. Um, and you're right, like Casablanca is a film that has like, you know, 30 amazing lines in it that everyone knows. And I think when, you know, when writing the entry for that, there is a way to shape it and, you know, be able to shoehorn and discuss here and there other lines. But I did focus on here's looking at you, kid, for that instance. Um, there's also this other idea where I think, yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, the way the book is structured, it's, it's mostly chronological, um, but there are these sort of, um, there are these detours where I've kind of broken up into little like thematic sections, whether it's universal horror or, uh, 50s sci-fi or, you know, 80s baseball movies, or even broken up by like auteur, if it's Billy Wilder or Mel Brooks, there's a section on Arnold Schwarzenegger lines, obviously. Um, but if each movie is assigned each line, I, I don't like the idea of it feeling as if, um, it's like an answer on Jeopardy, right? Like, what is the line from this movie? And, and the example I like to use, my brother brought this up to me, he's like a big musical theater freak, is that 
he was he called me and he goes like, "Hey, how come Hello Hello Gorgeous from Funny Girl isn't the line that you write about?" Uh, which is sort of the that's Barbara Streisand's line that is used. It's almost like a tagline, like an unspoken tagline for the film. You you see it when uh, she uses it in her Brooklynese accent and like staring in the mirror, and uh, it's on all of the highlight clips on any awards show that does like a retrospective. You can always catch her uh, in the mirror in that one moment. But I opted not to write about Hello Gorgeous. Instead, I selected I'm a bagel on a plate full of onion rolls, which is a popular line from the movie. And it's toward the beginning of the film. And it just defines who she is, Fanny Bryce, in the film. It also defines Barbara's persona at that time in her career. Uh, This kind of rebellious figure in showbiz and this outsider that famously cultivated um, a queer fan base. And for that matter, just just outsiders of all stripes, uh, which is maybe difficult to imagine now for film buffs that know her as like a figure who's been in the Hollywood establishment for, you know, half a century. But once upon a time, she was someone very different. And um, I'm a bagel on a plate full of onion rolls just kind of profoundly speaks to that for her audiences. Yeah. I mean, it's again, it's, it's just interesting to think of the different forms of curation and, you know, not just, you know, because you want the book to be surprising mm-hmm. as well. You don't want it to just be a rehash of, you know, the AFI 100 Greatest Lines list, which is, you know, a fine list. I like the AFI. I like I like listing things. I like uh, most of most of their choices in that. But again, that's a that's a that's a list that has, you know, six quotes from Clec- mm-hmm. Casablanca or whatever. Uh, you know, it, it's got five mm-hmm. Godfather quotes, all worthwhile additions. But you, you need something well, else. It, I mean, it, it goes back to what we were discussing about um, perspective, and and you know, it all depends on where it comes from. And you think of the members of the American Film Institute, and you know what they consider to be like the defining pieces of dialogue for Hollywood is not necessarily the lines that you know were uh, echoed under you know the roofs of you know, however many millions of homes across the country, right? Like the one that I always point to is in the 1973 black exploitation drama, The Mac, uh, with Max Julian, who I don't know for how many listeners have seen it. I highly recommend it. He plays uh, Goldie, this uh, ex-con who uh, goes back to his neighborhood in Oakland uh, and becomes a pimp. And his brother, Olinga, who played by Roger Mosley, is sort of the stand-in for like a Black Panther type who is, you know, trying to uh, spur mass organization in the neighborhood. And Mosley has this monologue that is, everyone has heard it, whether or not they've seen the film. They've heard it sampled on like millions and zillions of hip-hop tracks, uh, probably most famous is uh, Dr. Dre's Rat-a-tat-tat from The Chronic. But the, I think the line people remember is he starts off just just lecturing his brother, uh, Goldie, that like, hey, man, don't you realize in order for us to make this thing work, we got to get rid of the pimps and the pushers and the prostitutes and then start all over again clean. So, you know, he is trying to change the ways of Goldie uh, before his brother gets in too deep. But that is just a snippet that, 
has absolutely ricocheted throughout culture for decades and through generations, but you won't find it on the AFI list. And I'm not trying to like bash the AFI, although I guess that's what we're doing. But to your point, you want to, I mean, you just want to shake it up and you want to make it a more honest sort of uh, collection of, of, of the lines we all know and love. No bashing here. We're not bashing the AFI. We all love the AFI. The American Film Institute is a is a great organization, uh, and you know their their list is very fine. I'm just saying it, it doesn't lend itself to a book like this. Um, your book is uh, it's full of uh, again. It's it's not just these are the quotes I like, and here's why I like them. There's lots of you know research reporting, um, you know looking back at archival. Uh, uh, interviews and that sort of thing. Walk me through your process. So when you when you decide on a, a quote, uh, how do you chase down uh, either the participants if they're still alive or the the archival stuff uh, if it's if it's a little older? Um, what what work went into giving these quotes the greatest uh, context possible? Do you remember? Uh, do you know from Dust Till Dawn very well? Sure. Do you remember, like, Harvey Keitel has this really hammy, like, kind of Texas or Southern accent, and uh, I don't even think it's Texas. It's just kind of a vague, like, Southern-y kind of Colonel Sanders thing he's doing. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment in the film where uh, he just looks up and he just go, he says something like, he's like, they're all dead. I'm sorry, everybody's dead. And I kept thinking of that over and over when I'm like looking up potential subjects to to call and discuss, uh, you know, the context of like a line's popularity for way back when. But uh, when I was when the book was commissioned to me, it was still in like mid 2020. I mean, we were still in the height of the pandemic and it was you know, I'm privileged to say that I was, you know, a member of the class that was allowed to work from home and therefore uh, was able to use my phone a lot. And and uh, guess what? Every screenwriter uh, in Hollywood was sitting at home and they will take your call, right? <laughs> like if you just e- find their email and tell them, like, do you have 10 minutes to discuss the most popular line that you've ever written in the history of your career? Of course, they're going to take that call. So that was a great start. Um, and it was, I wouldn't say that there was like such a mechanical method other than, you know, once you, once you land on a line, you know, you just recognize what resources you can tap into. So if it's, you know, if you're talking about, uh, you know, one-on-one interviews to help, great. If you, uh, use the opportunity to gulp down books and, uh, you know, consume all the blu-ray commentaries i mean that's stuff we're doing anyway you might as well get paid for it um and you you know you surprise what you end up coming up with and sometimes you you end up putting two and two together on your own and uh you know god forbid a light bulb goes off once in a while <laughs> who uh who were some of the people you talked to just to give uh folks a, a sense of the book again the the book again is called you talking to me uh, the Definitive Guide to Iconic Movie Quotes. Uh, it's out Tuesday, September 26th. You might listen to this before then, but then you can pre-order it, and that's great on Amazon. People, you know, Amazon loves pre-orders. Um, but uh, who were some of the who were some of the screenwriters you talked to? Uh, John Logan, Oscar winner for Gladiator. John Patrick Shanley, Moonstruck, uh, just to name a couple right off the top of my head. I'm I'm uh, 
I'm drawing a blank on everyone else, but there were <laughs> there were dozens. Uh, and uh, but also in, in addition to that, you know, you spoke with uh, I spoke with scholars, right? So Janine Basinger for one. Toby Roan is like a Western historian. I can come up with juicier names. I I did speak with Werner Herzog um, about Aguirre, the Wrath of God, because there is a really funny line in that movie uh, toward the end where. Uh, for those who've seen it, it's like this failed conquistador mission that was filmed on location in like South America. And it was this crazy sort of, it was apocalypse now before apocalypse now in a lot of ways. Um, and one of the conquistadors gets hit by an arrow and he says the long arrows are getting fashionable and he falls into the ocean or in the river and, uh, Herzog took my call. I mean, again, he was like stuck at home during the pandemic. And I ended up not using it in the book, but I, got, I should put it somewhere, to be honest. I don't know where. Um, yeah. But uh, there were a number of instances like that. Um, you know, Nancy Myers, I guess, is one. Charles Shire, Amy Heckerling. Uh, who else am I forgetting? Stephen D'Souza, who's sort of a famous screenwriter for, a, you know, a dozen 80s action type flicks. Producers from, you know, Tombstone and uh, Rocky no, it's a great. It's. I mean, look again. Everything uh, in the in the individual entries gives gives stuff more um, context, which right. is which is again wonderful. I mean, you you mentioned talking to John Logan from Gladiator, and he thought uh, he thought the line that you uh, that you have in the book uh, you are are you not entertained? Great line. Uh, I feel like this is a has become a, a meme of sorts. We'll get to the we'll get to the memification of movie quotes in a minute. Um, but, uh, you know, he thought that was going to be the big trailer moment and it kind of wound up not being, he knew it was gold. That's what he said. Right. But it, it just, it wasn't like, that wasn't necessarily the first line right out the gate that I think people remembered. There was the, I'm Marcus Aurelius speech that like when Russell Crowe takes off his mask and confronts Joaquin Phoenix, like, and that was the one that was like rumbling up the aisles when, uh, the teaser trailers were hitting for Gladiator. Like that, I think that one was just as famous around the time. But then Jay-Z ends up sampling the Are You Entertained? And it did, they all take a life of their own, right? They all kind of shape and become uh, their own thing. Like Friday's by Felicia is like the greatest example of that. You know, that's a that's a line that was a complete throwaway for Ice Cube and DJ Pooh when they wrote that script. And, and you know, it may very well have just been, actually, I think it was just like ad-libbed on set. Um and it wasn't, it wasn't really, there was no emphasis on it in the filmmakers' minds at the time, right? And then when it comes out, it comes out in like the middle of 1995. It's a stoner, stoner comedy that only had like so much of an audience. Um, found a much wider base once it hit video for years and years and years. And people would go back and rent it. It would start with stoners. And then, of course, their cousins and their aunts and their sisters and their older sisters, whoever would watch it. And it ends up, you know, that a throwaway line like by Felicia uh, gets adopted by divas on black reality TV series, right? And it's kind of divorced from this original context of a stoner comedy. And it just becomes part of the lexicon. And it's really funny how that happens. But that's, that's not the first example of something like that. But that's the prime one that comes to mind. Yeah, I, I I mean I'm fascinated just from a sociological perspective on 
that how how a movie line evolves into a cult phenomenon you know i mean as as somebody who uh spent most of my 20s trading you know old school quotes or anchorman mm-hmm. quotes or zoolander quotes right like that that's like the the you know the mid the early the early college aughts uh in in i don't know curriculum right that's that's what you watched in in college if you, if you graduated when i did yeah i mean wrote, exactly uh you know how movies like that uh a lot of them uh, a lot of which did either okay or not very well theatrically but then you know start circulating on dvd start playing on a loop on hbo uh or or elsewhere you know and then they become classics because just through sheer force of repetition mm-hmm. um as much as as much as anything else i mean when you when you were looking at this were there were there lines that were obvious like Okay, in the theaters, this killed, this slayed, and has has stuck with everybody ever since. As opposed to the ones that grew over time, as opposed to the ones that you know um, evolved into something else. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. It's like you know, market forces dictate this stuff, right? I mean, there may be a, you know a comedy like a Fast Times at Ridgemont High that you know, Universal Studios wouldn't give a chance to because they just didn't have faith in it, wouldn't put it on as many screens, wouldn't put it on as many billboards advertising wise. And then something like, you know, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, actually, don't, I think that was Paramount, but nonetheless, would, you know, dominate, you know, that year, or that summer, right? And so Fast Times would have to wait and it would have more of a fair shot in the video store aisles, which, you know, wasn't something that, you know, uh, some forgotten noir in the 40s would have a shot of doing if it didn't do well in the box office. But then again, more people went to the movies in the 40s. So it's just a it's a different universe, not a fair comparison. Uh, But, you know, you can look at, uh, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn from Gone with the Wind and know that was a hit right off the bat. I mean, that was just a smash hit that everyone went to see in 1939 because everyone was going to see movies in 1939. But, you know, you also have others that, yeah, they they do, you know, find their own audiences. And, like, how, how do people, you know, all get together and, like, decide to make the entire script from The Big Lebowski, like, part of their everyday lexicon? Uh, is it, like, just do we all share the same one, like, rotted broken brain to some degree i mean i think we do but i think there's like a i mean i think the the sweeter answer to that is that uh you can find familiarity in movie lines right like I, you could you could say that like there's a reference bro out there who's just like constantly making movie quotes and you just like don't want to talk to him at work uh, but I, I think the the nicer way to put it is that it's a it's a way of finding a commonality between people. That was not necessarily what I had in mind while writing the book, but I realize it's true. No, totally. I mean, look, this is uh, there's something to be said for shared culture, and uh, and and movie quotes become shared culture again through kind of force of repetition, but also familiarity. It's a it's a passcode of sorts. You know, we understand the same things we come from the same place we 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 are simpatico you see you see this as the book goes along i think uh and and i could i I, you could you can kind of track it uh especially as as the movies get a little newer a little younger 
the the rise of the memification of the movie quote, mm-hmm. you know, the use of the movie quote as this this kind of instant shorthand story. Here's a picture and a quote, and this is what this means in this tweet that I am tweeting at you. Yeah, uh, which is which is interesting and very. I feel like it's it, that is a it is a almost evolution in language. Without, I, I mean, I, that sounds dumb just saying it out loud, but it feels like, yeah, it's like uh, the water cooler like way a, for like the past 25 years. Right. Like we're not actually standing at a water cooler anymore, but you're just kind of passing off gifts of Russell Crowe or of whoever. Right. And, and sorry yeah. to interrupt there, but I just like, I felt like I, I knew you were going there. I, if you want to finish, I apologize. No, that's no, that, that, I mean, that's right. I, but it, it, it does, it does feel like the lines have changed a little bit over, over the years in terms of how we deploy them and how we think about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess I, I think that, I mean, the one thing I, that kept coming to mind to me when you would run across, you know, the memification of lines, like, uh, you know, what's the one from Captain Phillips, right? Like, look at me, I'm the captain now. I, I don't, I'm the captain. like, there are rare instances. Like, I think that one is a good instance. I think another instance is get in, loser, we're going shopping from Mean Girls and how that was, uh, that became like a, a really popular meme for, um, for like the MAGA, like fans in 2016, right? There's like, it's, it's Trump, like he's like pointing a pistol. If you remember the meme, he's like pointing a pistol pistol at a car and he's like get in loser we're making america great again like those those are like examples where i feel like you can make the case that the meme made the line like it's it's few and far between but mostly i feel like the meme is in response to the line right like in other words like Mm -hmm. the line is famous regardless of whether social media exists or not it's just social media is the uh the way in which we express you know our our love for the line or, or just have some sort of good use for it. I have my, this is my one big complaint about your book. Okay. I do have a, I have one complaint. Bring it on. I'm going to lay it on you right now. And that's the quote from get out, which, uh, I, I strongly, I strongly think that now you're in the sunken place, which is the quote that you use Mm -hmm. is, is, the sunken place is an interesting concept, but the the best line from the movie is I would have voted for Obama a third time if I could because of the meme, because the meme, you know, that that made that whole it it, it speaks so uh, broadly to an entire mindset and and became such a such a good, valuable meme that it, it, it really does uh, stand out from that movie. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't mean to. I don't mean to drag you down if, with, my, <laughs> with my petty gripes. Yeah, I'm but. leaving. I mean, if that's really <laughs> complaint, then I, I'm in good shape. I I uh, I anticipated that, and the Obama line is written about in the Get Out entry. It is. So it is. So so I so thankfully I covered that base. Uh, you know, my brother with Hello Gorgeous is another example entirely. But you know, you can't please family. <laughs> no, that's true. Did you? I mean, I, I'm curious about the writing of the book. Did you? Did you send it to your editor and he said, "Well, what? Why not? Why this one and not this one?" Did Did he have suggestions, recommendations? Yeah. Uh, did he Did he see the big list? Did he see the full oh, yeah. thing before you started writing? I think, if I remember correctly, uh, you know, I I had written too much. I had cut it down. I sent in a large version and he was like hey this is 130,000 words you need to make it like 90 max and he's like and even then i don't know 
Um, so I chopped away and chopped away. And once I presented him something around 85 or 90,000 words, uh, then yeah, he did comb through. And, and there were moments when I think he was like, you know, it's weird that X line isn't in there. And maybe you, have you considered that? And so that was a discussion. And, um, and, but maybe whatever line it may have been, like open the pod bay doors, Hal, I think was line that he was like, that's, you know, from 2001, a space odyssey. He's like, it's, he's like, it's, it's just weird to me that that's not in here. And I was like, well, I just don't know how much of a story there is, but, um, there are sidebars and lists throughout. And so I, I did find a good place for it. Um, and so, so he wasn't too picky about that stuff. He kind of gave me my freedom there. Although he would run across entries and be like, hey, you know, this one's a dud. I really don't think it's a story that, you know, the story's not there. And I was like happy to cut it. I mean, so, um, I mean, you'll shoot your eye out, kid, from a Christmas story. I love the movie. Uh, adorable line that's like echoed throughout the entire film. And in the end, I, the the line itself just that's just the example that comes to mind of one that just like wasn't quite up to the test. And so had, yeah. to, you know, well, the, the 2001 sidebar uh, was interesting too, because it led to, I, if I remember correctly, that's in a sidebar about differences between the novel and the adaptation. Yeah. 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 Which is an interesting thing to look at. You know, what are the, what do these classic lines look like in the original source material? Right. Yeah. I hardly remember it actually at this point, but uh, yeah, three but, three yeah. cheers for editors. That's my point. My <laughs> totally. my point is, you know, the editors, the real heroes. You're this. It's it's a it's a great looking book. Thank you. Um, yeah. In terms of the actual physical, you know, flipping through the pages, it's got tons of stills from the movies. You know, posters, uh, that sort of thing. Um, is that something that the folks at Hachette put together? Uh, uh, this is published by Workman Publishing, which is a, a part of the uh, Hachette Group. Right. Um, is that was that something that uh, that they put together? Did you send them? You know, here, all right. Here's a movie. Here's the still I want from it. How did that work? So, uh, well, Workman, who they published my first book, Party Like a President, and uh, Hachette acquired them maybe two years ago or so. Uh, Workman is famous for this kind of style of book, this kind of pick up and put down, right? Like the, uh, and, and something that's photo friendly, uh, kind of a physical layout, right? It's not just like necessarily, uh, you know, I don't know what's an example, like, you know, a memoir that's just pure prose. Nothing wrong with that, of course. We read those every day. Uh, so, so like, they're just really good at that. They have this sort of, if I were to describe their philosophy and, and I'm like a, I'm like a workman believer, um, the way I think of how they think of books is like, um, they see books as things you buy for others, right? Like they understand them as gifts. So if, I think that's what you're kind of like hovering around where it, it feels uh, it just feels like something you pick up and you're like, oh, this is cool. I want to like score this for somebody uh, or totally. you get it for yourself. And so, uh, but when it comes to like photo layouts, I, I did have feedback in all of that. I, he was really good. My editor at like, you know, I mean, you know, maybe to his dismay, like keeping me involved in the process till the very end and kind of shifting around photos to see where they fit best. And um, so that was like very generous of him to allow me in there because he knows I'm like, uh, kind of a psycho on that level and wanted to be involved. You can't help it. 
No, it's I, I mean, look, and again, the, the the layout of this book is a big selling point. If you if you are looking for if you're looking for a gift for dad or mom, yeah. you know, somebody the movie buff in your family, this mm-hmm. is a this will this will make a nice little uh, treat under the tree or earlier birthdays, whatever. Um, uh, so definitely think about that for the the person in your life. Um, I, uh, are, there, there was one last, uh, one last thing I wanted to, to ask you, uh, and it involves, again, the screenwriters you talk to, I, there's, there's a moment in your, um, in your book where you're talking about writers, uh, you know, it, it felt, it, I, I'll take it back. I, I, there, it feels like there's a tension in, in between some of the, how some of the writers talk about their process, because a couple of them are like, well, you can't write a great line. You can't just sit down and write a great line. That's not how it works. That's, and others are like, I knew that was a great line. The minute I wrote it, that was mm-hmm. that was a that was a great one right there. That was going to be a hit. Uh, what when in your conversations with them, how did they how did they think about um, the idea of great lines as opposed to a great script? Which you know, I've read a lot of scripts. Scripts are great when they are structured well. In addition to having uh, you know the good lines, the good dialogue, etc. You know, script script writing is structure. And I and anytime I ask a screenwriter about a specific line, they're always like, "Yeah, no, it just was part of the part of the story here." I'm rambling. What did they say? What did they tell you? Yeah, trust the process, right? They all have their own version of that, I'm sure. I, uh, but but I that's that's an interesting like comparison you made. I mean, the the I think the entry you're talking about is there's no crying in baseball from a league of their own from uh, from uh, Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel. And, you know, they and that was not my one on one interview with them. They gave this extensive interview about 10 years ago and talked about how like they they did almost say it like with with a little bit of disdain, this idea of like, oh, we're going to type out a line and know that that's going to get printed on T-shirts. Right. Like or bumper stickers or whatever. Like they were like, no, no, no. We are committed to like fleshing out who, you know, uh, Dugan or whatever Tom Hanks's drunken uh, manager's name was in that movie, like they were just committed to making that character feel as real as they could in a Hollywood movie. Uh, but it, it, I mean, you would be lying if you didn't know that, like, if you typed out something like what we've got here is a failure to communicate, which is how it was typed. And then Struther Martin later pronounced it without the A, what we got here is failure to communicate from Cool Hand Luke. Like, like the, screenwriter knew that was a solid line. I mean, sometimes when you're writing, you're just like, okay, I got this. Uh, Although there's plenty of times when you write and you feel like you're on fire and you turn it in and the editor's like, actually, no, we need to have a talk. (laughs) I I would never, all of my writing is gold. So I don't, that does not, uh, you know, uh, there was (laughs) one of the, one of the screenwriters was uh, told me how, um, I think it was Barry Blaustein from uh, one of the co- Coming to America uh, screenwriters talked about how when, you know, he would turn in his draft to, you know, the studio or the producer or whoever it was, and he knows that notes are coming. He would just allow himself when the notes come, he would allow himself 24 hours not to respond, but be able to just say, fuck you, go fuck yourself to, him, you know, to, to himself in the privacy of his home. And then the next day, you know, take a look at it, respond like a sophisticated adult, like a responsible screenwriter who is maintaining a decent career and uh, <laughs> go from there, which is, by the way, like terrific advice. 
I mean, you know, just going forward, like it just taught me like Brian, there are plenty of emails that you can just write and just keep in the drafts box. (laughs) That's it. Yes. We all do it. Drafts drafts folders are key to any uh, adult relationship with anyone you (laughs) want to have. Uh, All right. Well, I always like to close these interviews by asking if there's anything I should have asked. If you think there's uh, anything folks should know about you talking to me, the definitive guide to iconic movie quotes out Tuesday, September 26th. I would just say that uh, feel free to drag me on Twitter if there's a line that I missed (laughs) and you have a good case as to why. I'm I'm happy to take your lickings. (laughs) Um, All right. Uh, that That is it for this week's show. Thank you for being on the show, Brian. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Sonny. Uh, my name is Sonny Bunch. Uh, once again, I am culture editor at The Bulwark, and I will be back next week with another episode of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. We'll see you guys then. Mm-hmm.